0: you <laughs> The Citrus Mind, the podcast for creative thinkers, the oddballs, the strange ones, the weird ones, and those people that think just a little bit differently. On this episode, we welcome Debbie Eswick. She is a bicultural Caribbean designer and brand strategist. She's a former university educator, presenter, founder, and a published academic author. She has worked with businesses, projects, and nonprofits throughout the Caribbean, the USA, Canada, UK, and the EU. She currently holds a Master of Arts with Distinction in Design and Branding Strategy from Brunel University in the UK. And currently she is, she works in corporate communications at the Barbados Investment and Development Corporation. Hi Debbie, how are you doing?
1: Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you.
0: I'm pretty all right. How's the lockdown been treating you?
1: Not bad. I have, this is going to sound terrible, I have been enjoying it. I started composting, I started gardening. I have a plant growing that's either cucumbers or watermelons. I really don't know. I thought it was cucumbers, but then somebody was like, it's watermelons. So, yeah, I have Interesting.
0: plants. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Cool. So that means you've been taking it pretty easy.
1: I'm working hard. I started a couple projects too.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I don't mean that you're on vacation. I assume you're still working pretty hard. So we are just going to jump right into it. How did you really stumble across into the field of creativity and design?
1: Ah, that was a whole journey. I actually started out um, college in literature and history, and halfway oh. through that, <laughs> I I felt my calling. <laughs> so I quit literature and history, transferred to visual arts, and from there I got into um, the design program at BCC. So BCC's program, you go into visual arts, and then you can pick graphics or fine arts, and I picked graphic.
0: Okay and, and BCC would be short for
1: Barbados Community College.
0: All right, just making sure right Okay, that that's kind of cool. you know I, I normally ask that because the story of how people stumble into creativity varies from creative to creative because for myself personally, I will often tell my friends and family like I, I can't count. I could barely read. writing is a struggle. like art was one of those <laughs> things that I was always good at but my story isn't somebody else's story. So it's really interesting to hear that you are this brand strategist and you start out in literature and history. So it's quite the jump, right? So that's pretty cool. Um, Next thing, from your experiences, because, I mean, you've been in the US, the UK, the Caribbean, the EU. How do you view branding and innovation or brand strategy in these different areas in these different countries?
1: Okay, so brand strategy, I'll separate that from, from design for now. I find brand strategy is more developed in the UK. It, it has been in the conversation for a long time there, whereas here in Barbados, you know, when I hear people talk about brand strategy, I hear only some of the you know, popular things that people say, so popular quotes, but that's not definition. They're not definitions. So they're just anecdotal quotes and that kind of thing. So a lot of people have completely different understandings of what branding is.
0: Right, so actually, if if you don't mind me jumping in there, for the layman who might be new to these kind of terms, what what would you consider brand strategy to be?
1: So strategy being the the planning side of it. um, So really planning how you are going to build a consistent image and um, kind of positioning of yourselves in the minds of your of the public well of everyone because it's it's your consumers that's one one set of people it can be your employees you can have um, internal branding which really specializes in the brand experience that your employees have so there are a lot of different stakeholders of your brand and in your brand strategy you're gonna look at how are you gonna reach all these reach and engage all these different stakeholders and you're also going to look at what touch points are you going to use to do them what tools are you going to use to reach them sorry what tools are you going to use at those various touch points in order to engage these people so let me let me break that down because i know that sounds real confusing
0: (laughs) Yes, for the layman person
1: yes so for the layman person if i am a company I'll develop my brand strategy and think about how my employees are engaged with my brand. I'll have a set of what we might call brand pillars. So if I say, well, my company is fun, we're creative and that kind of thing, then the experience my employees have should reflect that. So I will think about what programs am I going to have for my employees that reflect fun and creative If I think about um, my customer, I'm also going to think about what are the touch points that I can engage my customer in. So my customer can come on my website, that's a touch point. My customer can come on my store, that's a touch point. So then what am I going to do? And this is where design comes in. This is where it gets very design central because design is the vehicle to get there. What am I going to do in my store, for example? that is going to give the customer a fun and creative experience. So your designer then is going to step in and they're going to work with you. What kind of colors you should have in the store? What kind of shapes are you looking at? Do you have patterns? Do you not have patterns? What What are the objects in the store? What is the experience you design for the customer from the time they walk in the door to when they leave, when they go home, or even after that? What experience do you design for the customer to make it fun and creative and that kind of thing? So yeah, it can get it can get deep and intense.
0: <laughs> right. I I can imagine so. So just a trap back a little bit, now that we've given given each other a bit of an idea of what brand strategy is, you're giving me an idea of the difference between the Caribbean versus the UK or the US or Canada for that matter.
1: Yeah. So in the Caribbean, when I hear people talk about branding. I get a million different things coming back. Some people will say branding is a promise. That That's the much older one. Not as many right. people say that, no. But a promise is a promise. A promise is not your brand. If the customer say, if you say, and you promise the customer, we're going to be fun, and the customer and everybody else says, all you treat people real bad. How <laughs> oh, is that your brand?
0: Right. All, all of you treat people really badly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, Chinese would say, oh, yeah, Bajans are so wanna. Wanna treat people real bad.
0: <laughs> and I'm pretty sure from your experience, the, the Canadians and the Americans would, would probably say something different. So yeah, that, yeah. I don't mean the term.
1: Yeah, so there really is this, this balance of what you project and what people perceive in branding. And that's not necessarily the conversation that you hear in Barbados. You just hear the anecdotal terms about branding is a promise or branding is what people say about you. They pulled that quote from somebody but didn't analyze the context in which the quote was said or look at what really are definitions, you know, because a definition is different from a quote. <laughs> a definition right, right, will right. stand on its own. Um, so it's really important to have a definition because then if you say, for example, um, your brand is what people say about you, you're not looking at what you're projecting. There is no strategy. It really is just what people say about you, <laughs> you know, when really for branding, you need that strategic side of what you project and you determine, you know, what are those brand values? That's you. That's not outside. You determine that, decide to project that, and then people will perceive it. And it two right, of that. So if I was to translate
0: it, oh, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry, sorry, continue.
1: Right. So both that, what you project and what people perceive, all of that goes into branding.
0: Right. So if I was to translate it then Mm -hmm. for myself, think of it as the clothes I put on. Now, I make it my business to be very mindful of what clothes I wear because I want to look a particular way. Whether it's a t-shirt or a jacket or jeans or a suit. And based on my uniform or my clothing, then people will look at me and be like, ah, you look like this kind of person or this kind of profession. So it's a two-part thing where my purpose, my my purposeful decision in what I wear assists not just myself, but the person who is viewing at me. Something like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, we right. could say that. So, and that has to do with the practice of branding. So the practice of branding has to do with that whole, what you put out there and what they see. If you're looking for a definition, though, um, Interbrand has a very a very good definition. They're a little long, so you can check that out on your own. But they actually have a definition, which is different from just a court, a court, a court, a court, a court.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So basically, we're saying that in comparison to like say a country like Barbados, the UK and the US and Canada, they understand this concept of branding and the strategy behind it.
1: Yes, a lot, a lot better. not saying
0: to understanding a lot better, but they're more advanced in the implication of it.
1: In the implications and the practice, because they have the academic backing for it, which includes the research, which includes the case studies and business, you know, where you can see how did branding work, how was it applied. That kind of documentation and, and checking and checking back in the Caribbean isn't as common. Some companies might do it, but all don't. So for example, if you work as a professional in something like marketing communications, you might talk about being a branding specialist, but do you have case studies? Right. What are you using to back up your claims? (laughs) You know, that is objective, not just I did this this time and it worked because in academia, we would say that would be anecdotal. If you do it once and you feel a way or you say something about it or somebody says something about it, that doesn't. Prove any validity to what was done. You have to have a pattern of it being effective when you do that.
0: Over a period of time. It's kind of interesting because you mentioned not just a backing in terms of case studies, but it almost that you were hinting at education systems in general. Now, I'm not going to get into the education system within the Caribbean and Barbados in particularly. Yeah, that's
1: another podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, might, that, yeah, that might probably be another episode. But It almost feels like if that is a point where we should be starting as well in terms of introducing branding and strategy and the idea of branding and strategy, not just necessarily in the creative sphere, but also in the marketing classes, maybe also in the business classes in particularly, so that when you have these marketing professionals coming out of college and university, that isn't on the basic level of understanding of marketing or branding or strategy, but maybe a more wholesome approach and understanding to it. Because we find sometimes that people may not even fully understand design mm-hmm. in, its, in itself because design is such a broad field, let alone brand. A series of
1: fields. <laughs> let alone branding,
0: let alone brand strategy, because branding, from what you're telling me, branding is one thing, the strategy is completely different.
1: But you can have a brand strategy. Usually when people say strategy, they mean the business strategy.
0: Right, and your okay. brand
1: and your business strategy should be intertwined. If you got one brand strategy and another business strategy, you're shooting yourself in the foot.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So it's interesting. So then how do we go about that in the Caribbean or in Barbados in particularly? Because we're currently based in Barbados, so we might be, that be the first thing that comes to mind, how do we go about these concerns? Are our concerns of design and branding and strategy so deeply intertwined with our culture that it might prove difficult to, to start the education process and put things on, on the right track?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we have to define the we, as in which we, <laughs> you know, do we mean the individual as in the individual brand practice? practitioner or marketing communications person? Do we mean the agency? So I'll I'll just try to do it generally. Um, I'd say, one, education is important. So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not just reading the opinions of people. Like, look for stuff that has been, um, in academia we have a term called peer-reviewed. That means that a lot of people who are professionals and who are experts in the area have looked at this thing and validated it right so that's one the the legitimate education because in the day of of internet we can read anything online anybody can publish anything but just because it was published and has a lot of likes doesn't make it valid (laughs) it might make it interesting it might make it exciting but it doesn't make it objectively and measurably valid
0: so, so what makes it valid? Because it means for somebody like me who doesn't like reading, um, so I don't know if I'm going to be publishing anything anytime soon, mm-hmm. but what helps to make something like that valid?
1: So that, that brings us to our second one, case studies. Document case studies. So if you read a good case study, it'll tell you what was done and what was the outcome. And it's in the outcome that you find validation. So, for example, um, and, and this is where I would encourage people to start documenting their own case studies. So, measuring their success and analyzing why did it work? How? What did I do specifically that made it work? What am I going to tweak differently next time? And that. This is of- a
0: lot, this sounds like a lot bigger than me checking the insights on my IG posts.
1: Oh, way, way bigger. Cause like saying (laughs) dollars.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a pet peeve of mine though. Um, I mean, I I do understand that social media management is generally about likes and that kind of thing. And that's nice, but likes don't turn into dollars. Likes aren't the same thing as actual engagement. You know, when somebody comments on your post, That's a step forward. That's not just a like. When they inbox you and ask you a question, that's really much more valuable. And that kind of stuff takes way more time, takes way more effort, and you can't fully control it.
0: Oh, trust me, I know because it's it's so weird. Um, I've done some posts, let's say over the last year and a half, and sometimes I might post something, sometimes a little bit controversial. And it goes viral. And I'm always shocked by it. Because when I look at my page, I see like two likes or one share. And then in about an hour, I have like 16 people messaging me saying, yeah, 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 let's, I am seeing your work everywhere. I'm like, "Like, what (laughs) was really going on? Because the likes doesn't give me a good indicator of what goes viral. And then even when I have posts that get, like a hundred likes, it has like absolutely no comments on it, and then it it just dies there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. But where that ties in with your brand, your brand is still growing because what you have, you have people who are sharing your work among themselves. And I mean, I know your logo is usually on it; you usually put that on, so they can at least recognize that the next time they see something. And you have quite a distinctive way of doing things. Um, and a certain width that's always there. Oh, so when, when we talk about some of these little things, um, which are very, very hard to articulate, like there's a term for it, which is um, called semiotic invariances, where, I think that's the correct term.
0: Oh, I these big words it. is going to confuse
1: <laughs> my brand. <laughs> yeah, them is big words, but they mean a lot. And these are these little, little things that you will embed in a brand to, to make it distinctive. I could explain it in music. So, like, if you know the music of Lin-Manuel Miranda, the guy who wrote Hamilton and who did the uh, soundtrack for Moana, there are these little things that are in all of his music. And it's it's almost like a link. So you can recognize his music without even hearing his name.
0: No, actually, I could get that because, like, especially growing up um, in the 90s, not to age myself, although I'm still quite young, like me and my friends, we were heavy into music and Timbaland was like one of our favorite producers. Yeah. And is that you can know a Timbaland beat by the little snares he might use or the little yep. weird noises he might use.
1: There is little uh, signatures.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Your little signatures that you would put into a trap. Um, and it's funny because when I think about paintings, it is the same thing. Yes,
1: it is the same thing. And an expert designer or visual communicator knows how to do it without being repetitive and boring. Because people always think, you know, well, that is your color, you need to use the exact shade, tint, everything all the time, everywhere. If this hair, if these are some of the elements that we use, we need to use them the exact same way all the time, everywhere. I must always have it the exact same way. But that is so, so consistency. boring. Yeah, consistency matters. And when you understand those little invariances and that kind of thing and what you are weaving in to make a brand, then you can, you can get creative and do all kinds of things and people still know it's you. Coca-Cola does it really well. You listen to their music, you will hear it.
0: <laughs> I don't want that. Like, like, okay. So my brand, my brand color is orange, right? Yes. Orange and a few variations of it, Um a couple of yellows and gray. Which is
1: great. But what are those people like, variety?
0: like? I don't feel like orange today. Like, I love green, and but uh, I don't want to use green today. Uh, maybe another day I want to use red. Why can't I just do that? Like, why can't I just use the colors that that I feel it on a day or furthermore, maybe I have like four colors in my, my brand, um, in my brand identity. Why can't I just use all four colors interchangeably?
1: Well, yeah, you, you can, if you, if you've built out your brand identity and you have a series of colors, go for it. You could get creative because it's, it's you doing stuff consistently that helps to build your brand and helps people recognize you out there. So even though you have orange, blue, and whatever other colors you want to have, you only use these colors and tints and shades of these colors. Yes, you can use tints and shades of those colors. And if you work with a professional designer, they will know how to even weave in other things and still make it work without forgetting, you know, your foundation and how to keep your brand recognizable. So yeah, you can, can, if it is in your strategy, to have all these wild and multiple colors, go for it. There are some brands that do have that. I can't think of one off the top of my head that is extremely, extremely colorful. But I know there are some.
0: Right. Ah, You
1: know who is? Uh, Bright Line. Bright Line, okay. which is owned by TED Talks. Okay. Um, they have way more colors because everybody knows TED Talks has the red and they yeah. have the black and, well, white which black and white aren't really colors.
0: <laughs> Let's not get into the technical side oh. of what is a color versus a neutral.
1: What is a color and what is not a color.
0: Uh, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Brightline
1: yeah. has has multiple colors, but you still know it's brightline because they have a certain style.
0: So things like fonts and where you mm-hmm. place um, the messaging and the sound of the messaging, all those things will play a part in the brand and the strategy that you're using. You know, it's kind of interesting because we've been talking for a little bit and we almost kind of hinted at something that I was curious about, which is what would be good practices if you're looking to build proper brand and proper brand strategy. And we just kind of touched on it. and, And it's so interesting because I guess sometimes we are so busy trying to make money or pulling customers that people don't stop to think, okay, what is it that I'm trying to project? And what are the mm-hmm. good things that we are actually doing? Let's make that repetitive. Like, let's keep doing it. Like that's our secret sauce. Yeah. And the only way you could get a secret sauce, like to go back to what you were saying earlier, is like having a recipe. When yeah. you have a recipe, <laughs> you have to break it down. It's like, okay, you need two parts water, one part flour, one part sugar, one part chocolate, and a little bit of eggs, or two eggs, not a little bit, two eggs. You have to make it precise. So that you know that each time you do it, you get the same outcome. And I guess that will help with the consistency. But I guess, isn't that difficult for creatives? Because we are so spurring the moment sometimes Mm -hmm. and our brains can get very scattered. How do we deal with the the boredom of consistency? And then what are some good practices that, not just creatives, but the business side of things should adopt and how, we sh- how should we adopt them?
1: Okay. So yeah, because I'm a creative too. I'm a designer. So I don't like the boring thing. I and mean, the repetition is not for me. So there are ways that you can go about making sure you have consistency and that, that comes down to your brand pillars. You're not having a bundle of brand pillars. Um, you might have just four. But these are the things that guide your business and your brand. So when you're thinking of doing something, ask yourself, does it align with my brand pillars? So if I say that one of my brand pillars is, you know, to be natural or to be sustainable, they're two very different things. (laughs) But, you know, then if I'm thinking of doing something, I need to ask myself, does it align with that? It's, it's, right. If it doesn't, then I need to think about it. It doesn't mean I can't do it. It means I have to think about how I execute it so that it can align. And then, if these are my brand pillars, I will also ask myself, well, how does this influence what packaging I have? You know, if I say I am natural and I am sustainable, then am I going to have really harmful plastic packaging? Not necessarily. I might opt for certain colors. I might opt for certain textures, that kind of thing, because I want to keep that consistency.
0: And I'm glad that you kind of separated natural from
1: from sustainable, sustainable.
0: Because, yeah, because <laughs> I could got some natural products, like you know, I could go and pull some 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 stuff from out of the, the forest. But if I pull out so much that I do the planet harm or the or the um, the environment harm, then it's not sustainable. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm really glad that you kind of separated those two things.
1: Yeah, I can give you a real example from a client. So there was a client I worked with at the BIDC, Immoral. We, we would have worked on developing her brand. There's actually a case study on our BIDC Facebook page. You can go check it out. Um, and when, when we worked together, we identified what her brand pillars were. I would have helped her develop those semiotic invariancies, that kind of thing. She doesn't need to know that technical side. She just knows she has packaging. She has a series of patterns. There are different layers of patterns. We would have talked through how she's going to continue to maintain her brand after she's finished with me and that kind of thing. And just last week, I went um, to a place and I saw a new gift set that she had. I saw the packaging for a new gift set that she had. And she completely followed. It was in keeping with her brand. You know, I could see it. I could see that she considered: is this a right fit for my brand? And then she went with it because it it aligned. You know, she sources all of her. She tries to source all her ingredients and stuff like that from the Caribbean. It's very very Caribbean. Um, right. You know, she tries to keep it as natural and safe and healthy and that kind of thing as possible. She's concerned about sustainability, the environment. Blah, 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 blah. And, and, you know, all that kind of thing. So the, the paper of the box that she chose, she could have picked any type of paper, but it was a natural paper because that was a good fit with her brand. You know, whereas the the tops on her high end things, which I don't think are available yet. I don't know. But they were at b She had them on display at b The tops are wooden tops because that has that whole natural feel, too. So she, she's being consistent in all these different ways and all of it is guided by her brand colors. So she's not limiting her creativity to say, I can only work with brown paper or I can only work in these colors. She can be very colorful and she has lots of room to play.
0: Right. I guess what you're basically saying is y- you get over the boredom by trying to find things or practices that fits in with the general Direction of your company, and not to carry it down to specifics. So you will carry some things of your strategy into specifics, but some aspects you kind of keep general. So, like how you say, if you're about natural and sustainability, then there's a a wide range of materials that you could use that are natural and sustainable. So you might not Mm -hmm. be necessarily pigeonholed into only using banana leaves. You could use any kind of leaf, and as long as as long as the colors of the packaging are consistent, then that helps with with everything because to be honest when i think about some of my posts that i make and sometimes it can be a little bit haphazard i don't know if i really spend a lot of time really thinking about the consistency of my messaging and i don't know if it's in particularly natural either because i don't want to say like i'm i'm boasting about it is like i i just kind of do me yeah. and i guess because i'm pretty consistent in my behavior by extension, my work and my branding and my style remains consistent. So it might be a little bit more ingrained than me purposely thinking about it. But what you're recommending is that people should really sit down and purposely think about the consistency, the strategy, the direction of their brand and where they're taking it.
1: Yes, they should. What I would say is that there are a lot of designers who are highly intuitive. So they, don't articulate that stuff. And they can't, even if you ask them, they can't tell you, <laughs> but they know it. You know, and, and I mean, what I would say is if a person hires an expert designer, the designer can take care of it. So, I mean, so for um, even the example of the moral, she doesn't use all the same colors, but her whole system is designed that she can swap out colors, but what remains consistent is the style. So there's a series of layered patterns. She can swap a color on a layer and that kind of thing. And it still looks like her. So she right, can okay. when she does a new product, if she has one and say bamboo and clay, the color of that is gonna be very different from her papa and whatever else product. Completely different colors, but it still looks like her. The style is the same.
0: Right. Fair enough. That, that's that's kind of interesting. And I guess that comes back in with the consistency. So then, just to touch on it then, or now that it's coming to my mind, what are some mistakes that you would see happening when it comes to branding and brand strategy? Not necessarily just in the Caribbean, but sometimes in the UK or the US or the EU. Is there a way to compare different kind of mistakes based on culture. So like, for example, if we're in Barbados, like mentioned before, we might do a certain kind of mistake, right? Consistently because of our cultural setting, whereas the U.S. may have a particular set of cultural mistakes that they may make. Um, is is that even something that goes on or just generally we in the Caribbean just make mistakes that the U.K. and the Canada and the U.S. have already overcome and they're going off in a different direction altogether?
1: I wouldn't even say so. Everybody makes mistakes. So we make mistakes and them has made mistakes. One of the mistakes that can be quite common, um, and I'll give you a, a real example out of the UK, um, is the fear of people might not like it and then you change it and you change it too fast. When If you've done your research, you've done the work, if you were to hold out, you might see that it works in time. Right. You can always make little tweaks and that kind of thing. So the example I would give is British Airways. So I met the brand manager. No, he was a design manager of British Airways. Many, many years ago, British Airways had rebranded. And their, within their brand strategy, part of it was to make these beautiful tail fins that represented the global focus of British Airways. So, like, you had one that was representative of, um, like, patterns and whatever from China or wherever and someplace else and so on. So it it was completely different from anything anybody had seen. And British Airways was the only person, well, the only company, because they're not a person, the only company that was there. But it was so different, it created issues socially (laughs) where people got vexed. Proper vex. How could you have that pattern on our tail fin? That is not British. <laughs> when they didn't understand the strategy, the business strategy that British Airways was pursuing.
0: A bit of natural, um, a bit of uh, protection for your, uh, people getting a little bit protective about their about their brand, um, their, their home brand.
1: Yeah. Where, so... British Airways, it had been going okay, but I think it was Margaret Thatcher, she put her handkerchief on on one of the things, and that was the end of it. They pulled the plug. And it was kind of sad. Um, Margaret Thatcher.
0: um, No, no, it's just that you broke up a little bit there, so you're saying that. Oh,
1: yeah. She put her key on one of these planes or the tail fins or something like that. Basically, as you know, British people are not going to cuss you out like an American would. Right. But if they do or, something or a Caribbean like that, person, because we a lot more blunt, but something like that, that sends a massive message all by itself. And that was, that was the end of it. From then, you know, they started to pull the plug on that. And it was kind of sad because it was very, very progressive for an airline to do at the time. Nobody was being that inclusive of other cultures. You know, and embracing this global perspective and putting value on all people, all people, you know, whether they were of European ethnicity or not, their culture had value to British Airways. And it was beautiful, but it got crushed.
0: Right. And I guess you fast forward now to 2020, and every company is about being global and being all inclusive and mm-hmm. representing as many people as possible. And I guess that's sometimes not a mistake, but I guess the concerns that we may have where sometimes the ideas and the, the strategies that you may come up with may be too far ahead of its time. And yeah. it's interesting because, like, I I honestly, when I think about some of my more controversial work, I don't think I've ever really thought about how I would be viewed per se. Let me caveat that with every time I click send on that post I am terrified like I'm I'm thinking I'm never gonna work again in this country I gotta hide I gotta um, hide my family go through an underground railroad or something but as I'm designing it I'm never thinking oh yeah like how would this be received like that yeah. comes after I hit send and by the time I hit send is already out there and like, I can't pull it back yeah. right I just have an idea and I'm like oh my god this is going to be so funny or it's going to be so wrong I really probably shouldn't do this but you know what let's have a laugh click send and it goes and I guess I probably leave it up to my 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 public or my my followers to let me know if I was successful or not and sometimes not everything you put out will be well received but then in other cases that you're saying, you might have to give things a little bit of time because people are so against change generally mm-hmm. that you have to give people time for things to settle in and for things to to simmer down. And then people become like, okay, yeah, this this actually made sense because why can't we be global? Why can't we be incorporating other people? Because when you think about the UK, um, you think, especially like in England... You think about different people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities coming together in a location, and that adds to the value of the country. And it's mm-hmm. something that I guess shouldn't be overlooked. Right. So just to continue a little bit more, what what are some other mystics?
1: Oh, that I you have think we one more thing to for? add before oh, yeah? we continue. So, I mean, like while you were talking, the branding of the Olympics when they were held in London. That was one. That was also very controversial, but they stuck with it.
0: I remember that. I did not like that logo at all. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> did people got paid to do this. Yeah. Like, no, I remember. I remember the big noise around that logo. I remember particularly. it was
1: controversial because, like, people when they think of Britain, they think tea and Crumpets, and the logo was not a tea and Crumpets logo. But if you've lived in London that kind of wild freeness kind of thing is a lot of the experience that you'll find, say, in Camden or in certain areas, that kind of thing. And London is quite diverse all by itself. You know, British Airways, when when that thing went south, it also had practical implications. Um, but even though there were practical things, that is not the reason it ended. The reason it ended was very much similar to the London thing. It was about the public perception and the public outcry. But the practical side, which is what businesses here should consider, if you are thinking of pulling the plug on something that you did in terms of developing your brand, make your decisions practical rather than just making them, I don't feel like I like this right now. (laughs) You know, not saying that feelings aren't valid. They are. But think about the practical side. And if there is no practical justification, maybe it's a rethink that you need um, before you make the decision to pull a plug. On the practical side, like British Airways, the um, air traffic controllers, Mm -hmm. what hadn't been discussed was that they used to identify planes by their tail fins. Yes. Yeah. So when British Airways had multiple tail fins, it was like, who's that? (laughs) I didn't know who it was, you know? So you see a plane flying through the sky and unless you can see the side where it says British Airways, you didn't know who it was anymore.
0: Right. That's actually interesting because I knew that, but I found that out in my latter years as a professional, not saying I'm old, um, but a few years into my, my professional career that that was the case I, it never crossed my mind. Like you knew, like I knew like, okay, yeah, the 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 airlines are branded. Like Mm -hmm. we had branding projects for airlines during school, but it never crossed my mind to think the air traffic controllers and other airlines who Mm -hmm. are flying maybe a few hundred miles behind or to decide also use it as a, a key indicator for who they're flying close to. And I guess that helps with the scheduling of everything. So if you know that British Airways or Caribbean Airlines is leaving Barbados to go to Trinidad and it's gonna take X amount of time, like if I'm the second in line after them, like I should know a plane in front of me should be Caribbean Airlines or British Airways, if if anything, like helps with the order and the structure. So I guess we have to think about the public view of it which you're right in saying because I guess that helps with the, the brand identity. But more important is, is it practical to keep it? And mm-hmm. is it practical to get rid of it? Now, in their case, it was probably practical to get rid of it because no one knew who oh, the hell were. this plane was <laughs> flying through the air. Whereas I guess maybe in the Caribbean or in particular Barbados, we might be more invested in the emotional outbursts of things and from my personal experience, I mean, I'm not an expert in this area, but what we often find is that you may get like three or four people keeping a lot of noise, but the greater public can't be bo- can't be bothered. Yeah. Right. And so then we might pull the plug on something because a few people kept noise. Whereas if you are given it a little bit of time, those noises would have died down. And what could potentially be a very good idea dies on the vine.
1: Yeah. And you know what's very fascinating about what what you were talking about and how you pulled it out? All of this has very much to do with design, whether it's does the population find this thing desirable? That is very much in the realm of design. Do they like it? (laughs) Whether it's the practical side, is this thing meeting the needs, the critical needs of air traffic controllers and other planes to identify what this plane is? Is this thing feasible? Is it viable? That's design. (laughs) That's what design considers. And like, I mean, this is a slight segue, but one of my frustrations is the very limited and I would even say damaging understanding of design in Barbados and the Caribbean. And I don't mean just from the lay person. I mean all the way into our policy documents, and so on. We cut ourselves off at the knees when we do not understand design and therefore we can't value it and therefore we can't support it because it's not the same thing as art. And while it is creative and supporting creativity is good, design is a little bit different in that, you know, I I like, there's this um, academic uh, person, Terry Irwin, Dr. Terry Irwin from Carnegie Mellon University. She's one of the the foremost people in design academics. And she would have talked about design being feasible, viable, desirable, all design disciplines. So whether you're a product designer, a graphic designer, um, whatever, design has these things in common. It looks at feasibility, viability, desirability, whereas in the Caribbean, we go, we just see the desirability side. It look pretty. <laughs> so we treat our graphic designers like pretty fires. You call right. them when you they want to. We look want pretty. the bells
0: and whistles, but it's, it's like when That's you hear. the
1: substance.
0: <laughs> right? When you think about design, you're just thinking, oh, can you do a logo for me or a flyer or a poster?
1: Mm-hmm. Or and you're a that designer. drives me mad. <laughs> it drives yeah. me mad.
0: Yeah, because, because design de- design is is greater than that. I mean, in in its basic term, in terms of how I might operate in my day to day business, yeah, that that's how I get paid. Yeah. But when I'm thinking about it, I'm not just thinking about oh my god, I just want to create a pretty poster. Mm. I'm thinking about how can the person read it? Yeah. Can it be read? Where is it going to go? How big? Which tells me how big the font should be, mm-hmm. and all these kind of things. And then if I have a, a black background then would it work for a building that isn't lit well mm-hmm. so that is nighttime, and then that black background just disappears and you can't see anything so all these things help me make an informed decision in terms of what I'm going to go about in my design mm-hmm. and based on our conversation that has absolutely nothing to do with
1: what the strategy
0: and the, and the <laughs> business side of it behind all of this because what you're saying is or at least what I'm gathering from what you're saying, the design side of it ties into the brand strategy and the overall strategy of the company. And if in the Caribbean, we're only looking at how pretty the logo is or how pretty the flyer is, we are never going to fully maximize the value of design, let alone the strategy of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like when when you take it even bigger than just design's involvement in branding, because design can work in branding, and we we know it's valuable there. And that's usually you'll find even even um, whether it's Barbados, Trinidad, whatever, where designers are often hired in the Caribbean is in advertising agencies, PR agencies, communications agencies, marketing agencies. That's usually where designers like graphic designers will find a job. Fashion has its own type of thing. And they always kind of have architecture has its own type of thing. Cause those are also design disciplines. Fashion is a design discipline. Architecture is also a design discipline. They also have their own type of thing. But when it comes to some of these other fields of design, like product design, industrial design, user experience design, they don't really have a home <laughs> and they don't really have support. So while you're looking at, um, misunderstanding design when it comes to branding, marketing, communications, and that kind of thing, and all of those are valid, there's an even greater loss when we misunderstand design and all the varying disciplines of design on a whole. So like, for example, there are a lot of benefits of design that we could have if we understood it and valued it. So if we look at um, an area like, product design, which it'll make useful things. So you can have utilitarian design, which basically just means it's a useful thing. A lot of the things we are importing, we wouldn't need to import if we were to focus on developing industries that valued product design and produce some of the products that we needed. But that's complicated because you need support for that. It really isn't a one person thing.
0: So we need to get some business leaders and political leaders on this show so that we can have a discussion with them to let them know, like, this is where you should really be taking your attention and more importantly, your financial backing to really improve these areas because it could be a financial benefit to not just yourself, but the country at large.
1: Yeah. So there there are economic benefits to valuing design. There are also repercussions to not valuing it, which is where we are right now, or to misunderstanding it. So sorry, I, I didn't hear
0: that part. You say that there's benefits to
1: to valuing va- it in terms right. of social and economic benefits that we can experience if we value design. So like this is this was the focus of a research paper I wrote that was published by the Design Research Society, which is an international body. Um. But what I can tell you and where we can see the evidence of it here is when we do not value design and we do not understand it. And that's where the difficulty is. So like when you read cultural policy papers, because design is most closely, it's not specifically, but it is most closely alluded to in cultural policy in both Barbados and Trinidad policy papers. Because um, when I wrote that paper back then, I would have had to go through (laughs) all these papers and that kind of thing. And the difficulty with that is design is usually lumped in with art. And yes, there are a lot of designers who will blur the lines, but that also limits design to purely, it look pretty, I like it or not, which ignores the other sides of design. And when you think of how to support the arts, and, and how that whole area is structured, you're not looking at feasibility, viability, desirability. Because craftsmen who work in the arts, because they're craftsmen and they're, they're kind of like artists, they can spend a lot of time doing something really intricate. It's going to be really beautiful, but it's not viable. In that the amount of time they have to invest in doing that, it's not something that's scalable, that's right. practical to produce and that kind of thing. Whereas industrial design will look at, is it viable? Is it practical to produce this thing? Is it going to make economic sense for me to produce this thing? Is the price point going to be one that the market will pay for? But craftsmanship is different. And how you support craftsmanship is very, very different. So craftsmen are one thing. Artists are another. Artists generally, for the arts to survive, you need a wealthy upper class to support them. You can have arts that will happen, you know, so very often in poor communities and that kind of thing, they will be very artistic. They will express themselves, but are they making money from it?
0: Right, right. Not necessarily. Which is a key thing too. <laughs> are you making money or you going to be another starving artist?
1: Exactly.
0: I'm, I really don't like that term, to be honest.
1: Where, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't have to be a starving artist, but to not be a starving artist, that's where you need things like residencies. Depending on somebody who has the means giving towards that kind of thing, you need patrons of the arts you're back with the same bourgeois class and upper class and that kind of thing to be a patron of the art. You need persons who will purchase the art and it's going to be expensive, but you know why it's expensive? Because they put in time. They put in so much time. So with arts, you are dependent on an upper class to support them for it to thrive. So when you try to support design like that, you cut it off at the needs because design can't be dependent on an upper class because then we end up with products being created from Barbados or whatever being created from Barbados that is also dependent on an upper class because we haven't valued design. So we haven't looked at, can it be utilitarian? Can we meet our needs? We're not looking at, at that and supporting that we still have it not mentioned in cultural policy or in industrial policy and that kind of thing or just kind of being absent you know so we're not gonna have we're gonna end up with things that require someone who has money to pay for it a lot of money which isn't the majority of us (laughs) right you know we're gonna end up with things that are supposed to appeal to a foreigner you know, a tourist who got the money and they come in.
0: And not all but of them even have the money in the first place. To not be all of them have
1: the money. But do we understand what they're looking for? Because then that's, that's market research. So you have someone creating something for somebody else that they're completely disconnected from, you know. So whereas a tourist has a certain expectation of something to be designed a certain way, when they get here, they don't necessarily always find that. You do find it sometimes, but I'm I'm not talking about the odd individual who has gotten there. I mean, how we support it fully. So yeah, so so like there are a lot of economic and social repercussions and that kind of thing from not valuing design.
0: Okay, I'm, all right. So we've been that's that's actually very interesting because I guess people don't people just think of design in a limited capacity, and a wider range can go so much towards the benefits of the country, not just financially, but culturally as well. Mm -hmm. I know we've been running a little long right now, so I'm just going to try to close up with this last question. Um, And it's not to put you on the spot or anything, but do you feel that we in the Caribbean have been making good enough strides towards getting branding and brand strategy to a point where you will feel comfortable in saying yes we 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 are doing this correctly do you see us doing that do you see us making any strides towards that and how long do you think not like put a timeline on it but do you think it's something that we could achieve within the near future
1: that's a hard question to answer because i have not been specifically tracking what everybody's been doing in, in these areas i do know that the conversation around it has become a lot more popular. You know, like when I came back um, 10 years ago, branding wasn't a thing, (laughs) you know, but now it is. Now you have places. So I'd say we've made a lot of strides because you're having places that specifically say we specialize in branding, which didn't exist when I came back. You know, you're seeing a lot more, um, companies and people pop up that say they do design. And you've even seen like some improvements. I've seen products get out there now where you can see this person invested in design as in small business products, which wasn't too popular back then. Small businesses who are coming out and they have really designed labeling and packaging. And I mean, part of that, BIDC has really helped with that because it has supported um businesses small and, businesses. Yeah. Small businesses and that kind of thing. And given them access to design services. So I think we have come a ways, but we still have a ways to go. <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> in both branding true, and design. All
0: right, that's true. All right, Debbie, I'm gonna call it a, a day for now. And if you are a small business in Barbados and well it could be small to medium and you're looking for some assistance in terms of investment and development you could always check out the Barbados Investment and Development Corporation
1: yes BIDC
0: uh, and you could probably say call an ask so they'll be asked for Debbie Essway no don't do that you don't
1: call an ask for me <laughs> <laughs> just you call the an number a, and an ask to speak to a business development officer
0: Right. And they have some fantastic people down there that will really help you out. So you could check them out. And Debbie, thank you very much for being on the show and hope you all, the be- wish you all the best in your future endeavors.
1: Thank you. It was great being here. Thank you very much for the invitation. This was fun.
0: All right. No problem. Have a good one.
1: You too. Bye bye.
0: All right. That was Debbie Eswick, a brand strategist, uh, former university educator, presenter, publisher, she currently works at the corp- the Barbas Investment and Development Corporation. You just want to give her a big thank you. And thank you for listening. And I'll join you on next week's show as we continue this journey of peeling back the layers of the citrus mind. Peace.